Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that you'd bless this time as we talk about it. May you uh, speak to each one of our hearts that which we need to hear. And guide me as I speak. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Miroslav Wolf is a theologian, Yale Divinity School, well-known. His book, uh, particularly probably best known for his book, uh, oh my goodness, in the book, Embrace. Oh, does someone know it here? I can't believe I forgot it. What's that? Exclusion and embrace. It is well known. Thank you, Daryl. And actually, Christianity Day called it actually one of the 100 most influential books of the 20th century. And particularly, that was book actually came out of some of his, um, when they asked someone to speak on his reflections on the, the war that was going on in Yugoslavia in his home country, Croatia and all the and ethnic cleansing that was going on, and a lot of it with a view to how do you reconcile after such horrors? You know, how do you come to forgiveness? And so he's done a lot of reflection ideas on forgiveness and uh, reconcilement and how these things go on. And he's, uh, you know, he's a remarkable talking on it. I wanna quote some of, his, some of his thoughts on it. And this is not really word for word. I've inserted some context because I just want you to get his ideas. So again, I just wanna tell you, it's not word for word. I'm bouncing around a little bit. But he said, um, most conflicts are fueled by our memories. So it's vital that we learn to remember in the right way if we're to achieve peace and forgiveness. We always do something with our memories. So the question is, what do we do with our memories and what do our memories do to us? And as he goes on, uh, the danger is that our identity ends up almost taken up by the memory of wrongdoing. The memory sits in the living room of our mind, in the best chair, and soon our entire life pivots around it. You become what you have done or left undone, or what other people have done to you. But our identity as Christians doesn't reside in that. It lies 
in being loved by God, by Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose for our salvation. End quote. Pretty remarkable stuff. What we do with our memories, how we understand the things that have been done to us and what we have done radically change the way uh, we live in this world and how we relate to God. And this is one of the things we want to talk about today, particularly the idea of um, forgiveness. How does that impact our relationship with God? How does it impact the way we live in the world? And most particularly, not forgiveness, but unforgiveness. What happens when we don't forgive? That's specifically what we're talking about today, because the scripture will give stern warnings about us not forgiving. And we want to take a look at some of those warnings. And then we want to look about some of the purpose. I think some of the reasons for these warnings are the severe consequences that happen in our lives when we don't forgive. And lastly, we want to talk about um, how do we do it? And I, I specifically want to say almost that we're only going to look at how to do it in part at best. Because I don't want to at all make it seem like the idea of forgiving is a simple to do. Or, oh, gee, this will be easy. Do this and you've suddenly forgiven someone. No, this is hugely and complex stuff. If anything, we're just presenting a couple initial thoughts and things to chew on to start that process. So as we talk about today, unforgiveness, the warning, the effect of it, and ultimately, hopefully, the process by which we can be done with it. So, unforgiveness. First, the warning. We read in Matthew uh, 6, and that, that's the uh, you know, portion of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which goes from chapters 5 to 7 as Jesus' teachings and all these different matters. At this point in Matthew 6, we're talking about his teachings on prayer. And, um, you know, well-known, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen by others. You know, they've received their reward. But he says, so don't go pray out there for other people to see. But when you pray, you go into a room, close your door, and pray to the Father who is not seen. This is what your prayer life is. Only God sees it. It's not for anybody else. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And I just put this in a context as we're talking about this whole thing. This idea that God sees what's going on and God knows what's going on. It's not for anyone else. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. Like they've been heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you pray. And he kind of gives a model which we've, you know, of the Lord's prayer as you come in. But there's this idea that the context of this is this prayer to the God who sees, who knows what's going on inside of you for his audience only and no one else's. And in the midst of the prayer to the point we want to talk about today, we come on to the part where he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's these two things. And, and the word debt, right, it is a, a bit of a financial term here. You know, Luke uses sins. You know, Matthew uses debts. And it is a bit of a metaphor for sins. The idea that the same way that, you know, if you break something, you harm, you have a debt that you owe. When you sin against something, it's, you have a debt. You know, if you sin against someone. And so it's a nice metaphor to help us understand the costs of sin. And, you know, we say, God, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And it's always connected, right? 
this idea throughout the, throughout the New Testament. You know, so it says, forgive others, Paul says, even as in Christ God forgave you. We receive this forgiveness from God, and that should naturally flow out to how we are with one another. We are to forgive. But then it gives this kicker at the end. For if, well, we got ifs. Ifs aren't very fun, right? If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Holy smokes. <laughs> I mean, wow. That is a stern warning. And uh, you're like, what does that mean exactly? What, what, is the, what is the warning? I mean, you know, you're thinking, is my, I thought my salvation, I thought it wasn't conditional. You know, God's grace towards me. What's going on here? This feels very conditional. Now, um, I know you're going to want me to spend the entire, some people want the entire theological dive into the consequences of this today. I, I'm not going to do that. Um, I mean, one aspect of this is we are in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of hyperbole that goes on, right? You know, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it off. If your left hand, cut it off. And so there's, there's aspects of hyperbole. The purpose of hyperbole doesn't, isn't so that something becomes irrelevant or you can ignore it. It's so you can bring attention to it and grasp its severity and don't take it lightly. And Matthew hits on forgiveness at a number of times. This is not the only place he talks in very severe terms about it. If you remember the unmerciful servant, the parable, uh, the context of that is Peter goes to him and says, you know, Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter thinks he's being pretty gracious here. And uh, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 or 70 times seven, depending on how you want to understand that. But the idea of 70 by seven or 77 means without end. And you can imagine the question, how can this be? How, how, what do you mean I'm supposed to just forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive without end? And he goes, well, okay. And he tells us, that, he tells us parable. He goes, well, the, the kingdom of heaven is, if you want to understand this, is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. All right? The, you know, so the God is like the king who wants to settle accounts. And if you remember the parable, I don't want to go into great detail of it. One of his servants comes, and he's got a debt which is unpayable. It's like comically big in the parable. Like nothing he could ever do about it. He can never pay this off. And the king just goes, you're off. It is, you are completely wiped free of debt. And then another servant comes up to him who owes that, him money. A, a relatively small amount is owed to the guy who had all of his debt forgiven. And he says to the guy, you better pay me back. You know, I am going to hold this over you. I'm going to throw you in jail if I don't get what you want. And the king just, and this gets reported back to the king, how outrageous this is. The servant who just had all this forgiven them won't even forgive that little bit. And then he finishes, the, finishes off at the end of the parable. It goes, then the master calls the servant in and says, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owes. 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. All right. That's pretty stern. So I don't think that really lightened up on the Matthew 6 one at all, did it? Um, so I am not, I think there's, what's saying, there's tremendous consequences and there's a stern warning. And I'm not going to, again, exactly what this means soteriologically, you know, meaning in, in terms of does God remove us to become unsaved? Or so, I don't think that's the, the point here, and we're not going to go into that. But there are tremendous consequences, and, and not forgiving in some way, which is absolutely true, undoes the very gospel message when you don't forgive. And that's what we want to talk about is some of these effects. In what way, when we don't forgive, does this just break down the entire thing that's going on? Now, before we get into that, though, I think one of the parts that trip us up is exactly what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. So I want to talk a little bit about specifically, because this is also forgiveness from your heart, right? The location of it. This is what the forgiveness that's happening in the context of Matthew 6 is in your own room with just the God who hears and knows, right? It's not necessarily out in this public thing. So some things forgiveness is not. So forgiveness, number one, is not forgetting, it's not becoming incredibly forgetful and these, these things that have happened to you, you just forget about them. That's not what forgiveness is. Actually, it's the opposite, right? If it's to release a debt, if you need to forgive, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to remember that which you're forgiving. It's actually the opposite of forgetting. You have to be very aware of what that thing is which you are choosing to release. So it's not a forgetting of the stuff, it's actually quite opposite. In order to forgive, you must remember, or else it, not as nothing has actually have been forgiven. No debt has been released if you don't think there is a debt, or can you remember a debt there is one? Secondly, forgiveness is not saying it doesn't hurt. It's not minimizing the consequences. It's not pretending, oh, that didn't hurt that much. That wasn't so bad. You know, uh, in some ways, again, the more it hurt and the more you recognize it, the more you recognize the various consequences it may have had, the greater you recognize the debt is and the greater you're forgiving. But you can't actually forgive and release a debt unless you grasp the greatness of the debt. Does that make sense? So you can't, it's not about minimizing or pretending there's not a big debt. It could be a giant debt, but you're choosing to release it. And so it's not saying it doesn't hurt. It's not minimizing consequences. It's not saying I'm not afraid now. It's different. It's, it's an... It's with those things in mind. Number three, it's not a sign of weakness. Some people think you almost get bullied or you're weak because you just forgive rather than do the thing you need to do. It's not that. Actually, forgiveness is something you have in your power to grant and you alone. No one can make you forgive. They can push you into various things, but the forgiveness you offer from inside yourself before God, no one has any power of over except you. And it's in strength that you take this thing that is owed you and you go, no. And that's the heart of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing debt. It's releasing it, saying, I am not owed that anymore. That's why debt's such a helpful metaphor. It's like someone owes you something and you go, you no longer owe it to me. And that's the heart of what forgiveness is, to release that debt. 
And so it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength to saying, I can release it. It's not a substitute for justice. Some people see, you have two alternatives, you know, to, to enforce justice on someone or to forgive them. That is not the case. Actually, justice needs forgiveness to start with. If you don't forgive and you try to execute justice or bring, justice is about trying to make things whole, right? Trying to make them right again. And if you haven't forgiven, um, very possibly and very likely, it's not just my opinion, that um, justice can turn into vengeance very subtly, in which you are trying to extract something from someone. Forgive, once forgiveness is there, then you can actually seek justice apart from any need for personal vengeance or hurt or dissatisfy, anything like that. So it's not, it is not a substitute for justice. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is not wholly in your power, right? Reconciliation involves someone else. Forgiveness is something that is in your power. Now, are they connected? Is forgiveness a part of reconciliation? Absolutely. But it is not, you can, you can be, you can forgive someone and not be reconciled. It's a different animal and it can involve repentance or can involve actions or different things like there. But the forgiveness that we are called to have absolutely does not necessarily mean we're reconciled to someone. And lastly, and there's probably a lot of other things forgiveness is not, but lastly in my thought is forgiveness is not trust. Oftentimes we think um, for, forgiveness is about what's happened in the past and releasing a debt of what's happened. Trust is all about the future. It's all about what you believe will happen. That's why you trust someone. You can forgive someone, but not trust them. <laughs> you know, or entrust yourself to them because you, know, you can forgive someone and not believe that person <laughs> is going to do something like that, but that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. Now, this doesn't mean they're inconnected, disconnected, right? There's a lot of times if you haven't forgiven someone, you're going to find it a lot harder to trust them in the future. And if you have forgiven them, you will find it easier to trust. But I'm just saying they're separate things. And oftentimes when we can't trust someone, we confuse that in our mind as to whether we're forgiving them or not different things. And I think it's helpful for us to separate them. You know, so again, um, you, you, you can forgive someone, but not trust them, not be reconciled to them. Again, not minimizing. So that's what forgiveness is not. And as we talk a little bit more about what forgiveness is and its effect, right? It's that release. So what happens when we don't forgive? So now we're talking, why is it, why does it undo you know, and I think it undoes our relationship with God and does what's happening internally in us and it messes up our community. And everything the gospel wants to do in all those arenas kind of get undone by unforgiveness. Why? So firstly, our relationship with God. You know, and it says something similar to this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount too. In the midst of prayer, one of the teachings on prayer in Mark, he says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe and you've received it and it will be yours. His incredible promise. You know, God hears you. God will answer prayer, right? And he'll, he'll say what you want. But then the very next context, he says, but when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And, and remember Matthew, it says, and if you hold something, right, the parallel version, he says what? Go and make up before you even make your, your gift unto God. Don't do that until you have made up with that person. 
You may know like the, the classic Christian liturgy. We don't always use it here, but passing of the peace. What's that about? Make sure before you come up to communion or to receive or renew our covenant with God, make sure you are at peace with everybody in that thing. Don't you be holding anything. Don't come into worship if you were actually holding something against someone. So why does it so get in the way? Why can we not worship and not pray when we are not, not, not forgiving other people? So some of the heart of what unforgiveness is, right, is there's an aspect where we don't forgive someone, you actually deny God, right? Because the idea is that when someone holds something against you, and, and you have that debt, like this person has done this thing to me. And you, you think that you, in some ways, you, when you don't forgive them, you think you're the judge who can enforce them to pay for this. That it's in your power to enforce payment. But you have no such power. Who has that power? Who's the judge? God. God is the one to whom everybody must answer ultimately. They don't answer to you. They answer to God. And when you stand in the way and say, I won't forgive them, you are saying basically that I'm God, that, you're, that I'm the one who can judge you. I will determine what's right and what's wrong, and you, I will make you pay. A, that is wrong. You deny God and yourself. And two, it doesn't work because you have no such power. And not to mention you're denying also you're the own, own receiver of mercy. You know, the idea that, that that is that great merciful servant. You have received incredible mercy. How dare you? You know, you, you basically, they say when you won't forgive someone, I think Miroslav Wolf said, you exclude them from the community of humanity. You know, they're unredeemable. And you exclude, your, you exclude yourself from the community of sinners because you forget that you're one who received mercy as well. And so you, cut, you deny Jesus on the cross. You deny God as judge when you won't forgive. And therefore, you cannot even come to him. And that's also why it not just messes up um, your relationship with God, it messes up what's happening inside of you. What happens when you want to take judgment out of someone else, but you can't do it? What's the, what's the fruit of that? The fruit of unforgiveness in us is bitterness. We become bitter people. You know, we become people who are trying to extract something from someone else to make them pay somehow for what they've done. And the fruit of that in ourselves is bitterness. That's when they say when you're unforgiveness, it's like you drinking poison thinking the other person's going to die. You know, you, you, you're, you poison yourself unforgiveness. They're untouched by it. Or you say untouched by it. I think we do know what often happens. It comes out in little passive aggressive stuff and little things you try to do to try to hurt somehow to execute that stuff. I like what Desmond Tutu said about when he talked a lot about, you know, nature forgiveness in South Africa post-apartheid. And he said, um, the only way to experience healing and peace is to forgive. Until we can forgive, we remain locked in our pain and locked out of the possibility of experiencing healing and freedom. Locked out of the possibility of being at peace. If you think about what's one of the ideas when God you know, reconciles us, he forgives us. He sets us free. You know, and we can suddenly, there's this power to live in this world, you know, and, it's, and uh, to be free from the burden of guilt and pain. And, and, and God's plan then is that that flow from you then flows out to other people. 
And God's essentially invading the world and the gospel message in this powerful way. And the second you stop forgiving or hold something, you break that entire thing. That's what's so crazy about the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the parable of the merciful servant. The king is trying to reach into this world and set them free from sin and guilt and death and all the horrors of it. And he does that through breaking in and forgiving us and we radically forgive others. And he builds these little communities of the kingdom of God. And when you don't forgive, suddenly it breaks up. And you in your own heart have somehow denied that you're forgiven. You're denying the king who wants to forgive and do all those things. And all that stops. This is why forgiveness is so, unforgiveness is so devastating. And it breaks into so many things. We have to forgive. I mean, if there's one thing you understand from these things, this is not an optional thing. It's not an if. This is something we must do. You must forgive. So, how do I forgive? And again, I don't want it all to make this seem like a simple matter or an easy matter. And, and again, we're not talking about how to reconcile and how to deal with some things out there or even how to create justice. Forgiveness is a part of all those pieces. We're talking about the part that happens in that room by yourself between you and God. Does that make sense? And that's where it has to start. And that's the part that he sees. It's the part you have power over. There's a lot of stuff you don't have power over over there. This is something that is in your power that God grants to us. So number one is very simply to release the debt to God. Seems simple, right? In some ways, when you think about how do I forgive, what goes in your mind? You're thinking, how do I even know if I have forgiven? This is something that's happening in my heart. It's much easier if it's a debt. You know, somebody hits your car, they owe you money, and you say you don't have to pay it. That's simple. And it's saying it's like that when people wrong you. And you might think, well, how do I know if that's gone or not? And, it, and you're good to ask that question, right? It's good to say what the depth of it is realizing there's many layers here. But what you can know is that if you're commanded to do this, God's commanding you to do something you can do. Does that make sense? So you make a, it starts with a conscious decision saying, I am choosing to forgive this. It's actually quite simple. Um, and remembering that forgiveness is granted before it's felt. This is a really important concept. Grant, forgiveness is granted before it's felt. Because sometimes you think, until I really feel like I can forgive them, I can't forgive them. No, no, no. It starts saying, I will forgive them. And then you're hoping the water will begin to work down into your heart. You know, um, you, you forgive and then you start to go, okay, now how do I, how does it begin to work down towards me? And I mentioned this, it may be repetitive. I see this happen actually a lot of times in, um, I mean, a lot of times it's, it's a sad situation. You know, I want to use marriage counseling. And I've, you know, I've seen couples cheat on, you know, there's like infidelity. And what happens, it's a similar pattern, is oftentimes the one person will forgive the other relatively quickly. And you know when that happens that you're waiting for that two or three months down the line when the full, how much they've been betrayed all the ways it happened and the depth of the pain they recognize. And you realize they have to forgive again. 
And if you look at the debt form, at first when they said, I forgive you, they only knew about this much debt in their own heart. Two months later, they realized, oh boy, the debt is much bigger than I thought it was. And I need to give that. And essentially what you're doing, you're giving it over to God, saying, God, you are the judge. I give this debt to you. The debt doesn't disappear. You give it to the one to whom it is owed, which is God. God is the one to whom all must answer, not you, and you hand it over. But it may be a repetitive thing, because it may come back and you think you've forgiven, and you realize that pain is new and fresh, and you see more consequences in your life, and consequences of those, and you see that, and it's as if the debt just got rung up again, and you go, God, I need to give that thing out, and realize that's part of it, and recognize that. It doesn't mean, because you could think when I, you realize you still have all that pain, everything else, I haven't really forgiven. Don't, do, you know, if you say I forgive and I hand it to God, that is real and it is true. It's just realizing that oftentimes forgiveness is like an onion and it's layer upon layer upon layer, you know, and, and when people have harmed you. Number two, it's remembering rightly. And I'm going back to that Miroslav Wolf um, illustration at the start. Remember sitting in the living room and all the things that kind of go through your mind, and how you remember these things harm to you, you can actually, as you remember some of these harms done to you, you can sit in there, and if that's all you remember yourself as this victim to whom things have happened, then that will shape who you are. That will shape how you relate to God, how you, you're able to forgive them, how you think about yourself. When you're in that room, remembering rightly is also remembering that you're a sinner. It's remembering Jesus died on the cross and removed yours. It's, it's, it's remembering that that person's broken too, and it's remembering the grace that can be shown him. It's remembering that you have forgiven them and handed it to God. It's remembering all of those things together. You, you're, remembering, you're, you're remembering rightly when you forgive. And what you're remembering too is the huge piece is that you're remembering what God has set you free to be. Here's a, here's a really radical thing in the gospel. Do you realize that in Jesus setting you free, in a sense, no one can harm you? If you forgive anyone, if you're going to forgive all offenses against you, no one can hurt you. I mean, in some ways people are trying to hurt you, they're trying to make you feel guilty or do whatever, but if nothing sticks... I mean, you know, there's a power and a freedom he's given us to walk in this world. That's the crazy thing. I mean, sometimes we really misunderstand like some of the passages to the exhortations of people who are enslaved in the New Testament. But the idea is that you may be enslaved, but actually that guy has zero power over you. <laughs> you know, and you're like, you're actually free. This is radical thing. Forgiveness sets us free. We want to walk in the power of that freedom and that joy. And that's the idea. When we don't forgive, we get, you know, we're, we're enslaved again by the guilt and the shame and the judgment across this world. Walk in the freedom when we forgive. And lastly, be honest with yourself. You know, I think when it comes, this is a harder one. Um, you know, we can say oftentimes that we've forgiven someone and we can actually believe it in our minds, but it, this is one of these areas you can really fool yourself. And this is not so that you feel guilty, it's just so that you do regular, sort of deep opening your heart to God who sees and knows. And oftentimes when we haven't really forgiven and we think we have, that's when you try to do little things to other people, make them pay in subtle ways. 
and all that little stuff that messes up your fellowship, it messes up your internal life, and it messes up your relationship with God. All three of those areas, when you haven't forgiven, get all met, gummied up. And so it's a part of, you know, not feeling guilty about it, but again, taking it clean to God, saying, Lord, there's still stuff rumbling. Help me to see it. Help me to know it. I want to forgive with all of my heart before you and be released and walk in the freedom that you have for me. I want to walk in the joy of knowing your love. I want to be uh, this kingdom person to whom I know the greatness of your grace and forgiveness. I know Jesus' death on a cross and what it means and let that grace flow through me and let other people feel it and know it. Because that's what God came to do to invade this world. So, let's be people who heed. <laughs> let's be people who forgive. And let it um, transform our relationship with God. Let it set our hearts free. And let it make us vessels of grace into this world. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we um, thank you for your word, Lord. And uh, even as I've prayed this and I've talked about it, Lord, I've, I sense in my own heart uh, an inability to uh, to really live out the very thing I speak about. But Lord, we want to, Lord. And I believe with all of my heart, Lord, that you call us to forgive and we desire to forgive as we are forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray you'll teach us how to do that, that you will uh, reveal in us anything in our hearts or uh, even if, if the things we are not at peace with one another, if we have not forgiven one another. If you even have things today with someone in the room or someone else uh, in your life, Lord, I, I pray, Father, you will show that to me and to everyone here, what those things are, Lord, and give us the grace to be able to offer un that forgiveness unto you, Lord, and to be at peace with all people and to live in that incredible grace, Lord. We bless you and praise you and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.